Hey, Adam Richardson, lead pastor at Sandhurst. We are so thankful that you have joined us here on this live stream on your device, and we have prayed that it would be an encouragement and a blessing to you on your journey. If you are a part of the local Sandhurst family, would you reach out to us and let us know who you are if you're unable to visit for any period of time, because we want to maintain our connection to you and our care for you. If you're outside the local Sandhurst family, then we welcome you here. Um, at the same time, we hope this will not replace, but only supplement the care and the teaching you receive from your leaders in your church. And and if you would like to know more about starting or renewing a relationship with God through Christ, please definitely reach out to us at the number or the email below and we'll be in touch. If you enjoy this, would you please post or share this link so others can enjoy it as well. Thanks again for joining us. We trust it's an encouragement for you. Enjoy. I can just kind of walk over and maybe kind of be like one of the kids, you know, and I could you know, zip up his jacket and send him off to work. And you know, nobody's praying for that, right? Okay, so my, my experience is that, that women, you know, their main complaint is that men are not aggressive, but rather passive, right? That we're passive. Now, we can be super busy with all the wrong things, right? Okay, that's to next week. We're going to work on the guys next week. But um, nobody's praying for this. There's a lot of confusion here. Like, how do we do leadership well, like in the middle, where you're not a doormat, but you're, you're not just, you know, you're not authoritarian. There's a, there's a loving and mutual uh, care to the relationship. How do you do that? Well, uh, I think God speaks to that in the passage today and in related passages, and we're going to work on that. And just so you know, yes, uh, we're going to address some of the asterisks in your heart and mind, some of the core problems with this passage that we all face. We're going to do that, and we won't hit them all, but we'll hit the big ones as far as I can tell. And I hope at the end of this that we'll see the wisdom of God in this. So let's uh, come to God today for a real comfort. Let's do him the honor of not just having our own crazy, wrong, imaginary problems with his text, but let's come to him today and ask him for his wisdom and have a real conversation with God, because I hope we can just clear some of the fog around this and bring some life and, and health through it. Amen? So pray with me. So Father in heaven, as we look at your word, um, as Caleb prayed, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, beautiful things, glorious things, strong things, transforming things, not just information, Lord, but, but actually transformation as we not just see the words on the page, but God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We would see your face, your heart in this passage and, and understand in whose image we were made and how to follow truly in your steps. And may it be, Lord, for your glory. And if anyone, Lord, does not believe here, I pray that you would open hearts not just to the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and died and rose for us as we sang, but that it is sweet. It is both true and glorious and wonderful. And so, Lord, we come to you today uh, for your review. Lord, here we are in your presence, in your house. And, Lord, may you feed our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to jump in, and we're actually going to back up you know, Will kind of went through uh, verse 25 last week as, a, as, as the foundation of the submission passages that Christ submitted. And we're going to start kind of overlapping that again because that is actually the, 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 the peak of this segment of the book of 1 Peter. We're doing a series on 1 Peter. I'm going to go back to all the way to verse 13 just to, to flag it up. So chapter 2, verse 13 is kind of where the section starts. And it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority um, instituted among men. And so, and then he goes on saying, okay, there's authority structures and therefore are good, right? There's citizens, uh, there's the government, there's citizens, there's parents and children, uh, there's uh, workplace and employees, and now he's going to talk about the home. And these next few verses, 21 to 25, are an interlude where he gives the example of Christ. 
And so I think we can all agree authority is a gift. Okay, so the, 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 the red lights that stop our car and then the other cars go, and then the red lights that stop those cars and the green lights that let us go, okay, that, that is an authority that the government has set up for our good. Imagine if there was no street lights, no signs, no lines in the road. Just get rid of all that regulation, you know, those government regulations. And let's just free, free roads, you know, everything is the Audubon, okay? Mm, bad idea, right? Bad idea. So, um, they, they, they've tried that in some, they do that in Russia, and uh, I can tell you it's not pretty. And so authority is a gift. It's normative, God-given part of human relationships. And the reason is that God gave it to us so that someone is ultimately responsible for the good of others. Someone takes responsibility for the good of those around them. Uh, But sadly, in a broken world, the good gift of authority can bring suffering, can it? It can, when it gets out of bounds, when it jumps the curb, and it goes beyond what Christ meant it to do. And no one experienced that broken authority more than who? Jesus Christ himself. That's right, and that's what we see in the passage. Verse 21. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So he's got an example to us, and he is a guide for us. And as Will told us last week, he did step some places, and he didn't step other places. And we should do the same thing. We should follow in his steps, not doing what he didn't do and doing what he did do. And then just to make sure, Peter actually outlines this for us. So what was that example? What steps did he take and not take? And that's what we see in the verses 22 and following. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So he did not uh, dis- sin. He didn't deceive. He didn't manipulate. He didn't threaten. But what he did do is he entrusted himself to God. God is the great equalizer. So whatever you think about people, quote, getting away with it, believe me, the universe is a zero-balance justice. No one ultimately gets away with anything because God knows everything and is all-powerful, and he will judge. And that's our great comfort as believers is that ultimately judgment will come both on Christ for our sins and for those who don't believe on them for their sins. And so a message to us in this text is judgment is coming We will all stand before the throne of God one day and answer for our sins. And when I get there, this will be my answer when the gatekeeper says, why should I let you into heaven? I will not pull out my resume, will not be impressive in heaven. No trophies, no plaques, no achievements, no bank accounts. No cars, all that will matter in that day is I will say, you shouldn't. But there is one who gave himself for me, my Savior. Ask him. And my Savior on that day will recognize me as his child. Yes, this one is mine. This one is mine. He is with me. That will be my entry to heaven. And that's what God has given us in this passage, right? That we entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. And he has already judged Christ for all of our sins. And we will either put our faith in Christ and be his on that day, or we'll put our faith in ourselves and stand before God on our own two feet. And those who do that will 
suffer eternal judgment. And so, that's what he's saying here, is that Christ entrusted himself to God. Why is that important? Because he was submitting, remember, he had a lot of humans in front of him, Jesus did, didn't he? He had the Jewish mob yelling at him. He had the Roman occupiers actually nailing him to the cross. But he was submitting to none of them. Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So he, looked, he saw past the mob, he saw past the Romans, and he saw to his father who was taking him through this valley. The way John said it, or way actually Jesus said it, right before then, that same week he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. It produces much fruits. And so Jesus understood that he was going through a death to bring life. Good Friday leads to Resurrection Sunday. That's what love does. Love dies, and then God multiplies that in new life. And so Christ died to multiply his life to us. Verse 24 and 5. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's right, the crucifixion, so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness, that we might join him in his resurrection. And we will see that pictured in, a, in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. The next two weeks, we'll have baptisms that symbolize being buried with Christ in death and raised with him to new life. He himself bore our sins, that we might die and live to him. For by his wounds, we have been healed. For we were like sheep going astray, but we have returned now by faith to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, who is Christ. Amen? So authority is a good gift from God, but it is broken in its delivery and in a broken world. But Jesus redeems and restores true authority by showing that God the Father is the ultimate authority and judge, and he entrusted himself to him. And so Paul holds up this example of the Trinity of full equality, but not, uh, not I, I, they, are, they, are, they are equal, but not identical, right? So the Christ is a full member of the Trinity, but he submits to the will of the Father. And so Paul is holding that up as the, an example of submission to human authorities as we look to God. So with that, we step into chapter 3, 3, 1 through 6. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So the scriptures teach us, by the way, well, and, and I often hear, well, aren't we supposed to submit to each other? Yes, and I do want to mention that. There is a mutuality in both submission and marriage, and there is a difference in application. Just like in the Trinity, equality, but not uh, the same, not sameness, differentiation. So the submission is not identical, but it is complementary based on two things, based on creation and redemption. So God gave man to the husband to lead and the wife to yield based on two things, creation and redemption. And here we go. Stay with me. I'm not going to use slides today. I'm just going to read it. So just listen and let the Lord speak. In Genesis 2, God created the world. God created man, uh, like the male, and then took him through everything and gave him all the commands to do right and not to sin, and then said, you know, he's going to need a helper, and made Eve, and brought her together with him. And by the way, that word helper, we're going to talk more about this next week, it's not like little assistant, you know, like little uh, page or uh, secretary, okay? It's helper, like the, the, the word in the Hebrew is netzer, right? N-E-Z-E-R, netzer, so I will make a helper for him. And the most common application of the word netzer or helper in the Old Testament is for who? God, 
God himself refers to him our helper. So um, he says, I'm going to make a, a helper suitable for him. So uh, a helper, not like, you know, make the copies, but helper like teach me the math, right? <laughs> like someone who is greater, who can really help. And, uh, and so here's the verses in Genesis 2. So the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So God's giving him ultimate responsibility, and that's what leadership is. It doesn't mean you make all the decisions. It doesn't mean you get your way. It doesn't mean you know everything or you're better at everything. Heaven help us. Uh, leadership means you take ultimate responsibility for the good of those in front of you. That's what leadership is. You take ultimate responsibility for the good of the task or the good of the people. And so that's what's happening in Genesis 2. God gives the man ultimate responsibility for creation and then brings the woman to him to help him the lord god took the man put him in the garden of eden to work it and care for it and the lord commanded the man you're free to eat from any tree don't eat from this tree so do these things don't do these things um and then the next verse the lord god said it's not good for man to be alone no joke like he can't do that okay and so it's not good for the man to be alone um, and, you know, anytime Heather goes out of town, you know, she's gone for about six hours, and I'm going back to that verse, it is not good for man to be alone, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I will make a helper suitable for him, a netzer, right, like me, like Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer, right, stone of help. Um, Hither by thy help I've come. So we even sing the song about the help of God being a, net, a netzer. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. And that was a really good day, right? Um, so we know Adam was responsible for upholding God's commands because when Eve sinned, Adam followed. And who did God come after? God came after Adam because he was ultimately responsible for the good of the garden and of Eve and he blew it, right? So God came after Adam. So they, have, they are both made equal, like the Trinity, equal but not identical, equality with distinction, and Adam was given that leadership. So that's in creation. Then in redemption, we see uh, the, 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 the leadership of, of, of man. So Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's the mutual submission, right? So we all submit to each other, but it's not the same. Um, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord as the church submits to Christ. So also the wives submit to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I remember the first time I read this, I was like, yes, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yes, how did he do that? And gave himself up for her. Wait, like, like the cross? Yes. And literally laid down his life for her that she would live. Whoa. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives. So there is a mutual submission, right? And we'll talk more again to the men next week what it means to lay down your life for your wife, not once at the altar, but every day, okay? Every day. So in our creation, we are in the image of the Trinity, equality but differentiation, equality with distinction, and in our redemption, Christ and the church. So wives submit to husbands as, 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 and we submit to Christ Husbands ought to submit also. We also lay down our lives for our wives. So there is a mutual submission that way. But God gives the task of ultimate responsibility for the welfare of the wife and the family to the man. And that's what it means that he leads. And then he gives the wife the responsibility to yield to that leadership when necessary. And, um, and so the, the simple definition of uh, submission is to yield. Is to yield. And honestly... 
most marriages probably feel like both of you are submitting to each other both all the time. Everyone is sacrificing for the other, for the team. And that's just kind of how, how it is. And that's why, why it is mutual. But at the end of the day, somebody makes the call if, that's, if, it, if it gets to that point. And men, I hope you're not doing it very often because if you are, you're doing it wrong. Um, again, that's next week. All right. Um, <laughs> if you're married, lean over to your wife and say, I'll get us here next week. You tell your wife, I'll get us here next week. All right. So wives, you heard it right here. All right, you're, you're, he's coming back. So in verse 1, be submissive to your husbands so that if they don't believe, by the way, it's a good testimony, right? And he goes into beauty in verses 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward atone, uh, adornment. And it's, you know, uh, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So this woman has a gentle spirit, a quiet spirit. Not quiet meaning silent, right? Quiet meaning calm. She has a calming effect. So if you say of a quiet neighborhood, this doesn't mean there's no noises. It just means that it's calm, right? And so she has a calming effect on the marriage and on the family. She's peace-loving, um, and that's beautiful in the sight of a man. Very few men will just kind of knuckle under the pressure and preaching and fighting of their wives, but many will be worn, won over by the warmth and tenderness. Um, it's, it goes back to Aesop's fable. The wind and the sun had a competition to see who could get the hat off the traveler. And the wind blew hard, the gale force winds came, and what did the traveler do? Pulled it down even tighter, right? Uh, but the sun came out and warmed him so that he took it off willingly. Okay, so sisters, make yourselves great and beautiful with a tender, peace-loving spirit. No man like no woman is praying for a passive man. No man is praying for a rude, aggressive woman. Lord, just send me to just a train wreck. You know, it's going to just run me over, you know, and just, you know, just be metal on metal. That's what I want, you know. No, no. So uh, give me a contentious woman, O oh Lord. So verses 3 and 4, a gentle and a quiet spirit is beautiful. Verses 5 and 6, for this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and don't give way to fear. Well, the fear thing is obvious because, you know, he's asking you to submit to a man, and I'm really genuinely sorry about that, but it was not my idea, okay? Um, and I am a man, and I know how hard that is. Um, and Heather has so many gifts and is probably far more gifted than me in so many areas. And so my leadership in our marriage is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. What are we going to do? You know? <laughs> and I am a wise man, okay? So I learned that the hard way by my own stubbed toes and the impact on others. So, again, it doesn't mean you do everything. It means that you understand uh, that uh, where you're strong, where you're weak, and you learn how to make this mutuality, this dance work, and you, you make it your mission to bless your wife. So... Um, so wives, again, and, and he brings up Abraham and Sarah. And I love that example because, you know, God gave um, Abraham uh, the promise that he'd have a son Isaac and it wasn't working out. And so Sarah had this idea, hey, why don't you take my handmaid, you, you know, and, God, and we'll do it this way. And Abraham's like, mm, okay, and he does that. And then it goes, then Ishmael is born and it just goes way south. And then Sarah comes back to Abraham and does she say... I was wrong. I'm sorry. No, she doesn't. Who does she blame? Abraham. Don't answer this. 
Was that right? And the answer is, biblically, yes, it was. Because who was responsible for the ultimate welfare of their family? Abraham was. And if it happened on his watch, it's on him. Okay? If it happened on his watch, it's on him. And so the example is appropriate. Okay? And so uh, it's, the scriptures are teaching us that the men lead by taking ultimate responsibility for the welfare of the family. And wives, you make yourselves beautiful by, as the text says, being submissive, purity, reverence, beauty, should not come from outward adornment, but inward, self, unfading beauty, gentle, quiet spirit, great worth. They put their hope in God, verse 5, not in their husbands. Amen, sister. Just like Jesus did. He entrusted himself to God, not to the people. Okay? But we put their hope in God like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. So that's, that's the text. And I want to take a few minutes now, and I'd like to invite Jess Hayes to come on up and join me. And if we could grab a table and some chairs, I'm going to do a little Q&A because that's the text, that's the exposition, that's how it works. But it's not so simple in a broken world, is it, right? We said authority is a good gift, but it's, uh, it's delivered through broken humans. And so there's a lot of questions that it raises. And so I asked Jess, um, as a woman, as a mother, as a counselor, if she would join me up here and just talk through some Q&A uh, to hear from a woman on this. going to have uh, Susie Bachelman join us here in a few minutes as well. Jess, thanks for jumping in. Happy to help. Yeah. Um, I love talking about the really awkward topics. Yeah. I, I always, when Jess gets a call from me, she knows it's bad. Okay. No. Um, I really appreciate it. So, Jess, you know, we talked about submission as yielding, but I just wanted to just throw it out there. I mean, from your perspective, how do you see submission? What is submission? You know, just kind of just drilling down on a couple of things to make it practical. Yeah. Um, I think submission ultimately is, as you said, yielding. I think that's a good word. Um, particularly yielding to leadership and not mm -hmm. just, well, I have no opinion, so what do you think all of the time? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, when decisions have to be made, um, is assuming that you're in disagreement. If you're in agreement, it usually doesn't really feel like submission. Right. <laughs> um, but if there is disagreement, you know, at the end of the day, yielding to that leadership um, and as this verse says right there in verse 1, specifically to your husband. It's yeah. not all women should do everything that the men want all the time. But it's within that God-given, intimate yeah. oneness of marriage, which we all know is often broken in this world. It doesn't feel like oneness all the time. Um, but that's what I would really emphasize there, I think, is that yielding to the leadership, specifically with your yes. husband that God has which is why we make it into the wedding vows, right? Yes. And we don't just kind of, uh, uh, it's not a general command. What is beautiful about submission? Because, you know, it gets a bad rap. And I get it. I do. It does. But what's beautiful about it? What's, what did God mean? Um, well, I think, first of all, I mean, I really like how you've explored how Christ submitted. Because ultimately it is beautiful because it is living in the image of God. Amen. The oneness of the Trinity and submission within this or within the trinity and in the same way we have oneness yeah. between a husband and a wife and we have submission um and anytime that we are living in a christ-like way that is beautiful um i think it's also beautiful just because it's practical i mean i am a marriage counselor and i have heard many an argument and 
many times you can kind of agree to disagree. It's We go on with the family life. It's fine. But there are decisions sometimes at the end of the day where, you know, the CEO of the company, there's one. There's right. not two. Not two presidents, not two CEOs. Um, not because at the end of the day, if you do disagree, there are sometimes decisions where something is going to happen. Either we're going to take the job or not. You can't do both. Right. And so it's a beautiful thing. We, li we serve a God of order. And so the practicality of just logistically something is actually going to get done yeah. um, can be very helpful. It's also beautiful in the way that it is a godly influence, because yeah. we see in this passage as well that the husband is won over not by the wife's words, but by her character, her actions, including her submission. And I think we can all understand that. I mean, most of us would say, you know, um, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Yes. You know, and the same is true right. in marriage. Right, yes. Um, and so that godly influence is beautiful. I think the last thing I would highlight, um, which at least for me personally, I think is the most powerful piece of how this is beautiful, is that ultimately as a wife, it is obedience to God and trusting God. Mm -hmm. And I don't always like it. It doesn't always feel good. I don't always understand. And that's true of many things in scripture. And yet I trust, we all can trust that everything God says is good and it's true and it's beautiful and it might confuse us because mm -hmm. his ways are higher than our ways. Yeah. And so submission from a wife toward her husband is ultimately obedience to God and that is always beautiful. And which should hopefully be a little frightening for the men because whoever you think your father-in-law is, you are married, if you're married to a Christian, to a daughter of God Almighty, all right? And so his eyes are on her and he is caring for her and the question is, am I, right? So I walk, you know, in, 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 in some fear of that. But you're right. At the end of the day, we're both trusting ourselves to, to God. Um, and, and it's true that however, that whether that seems like a mountain or a valley, in Romans 8, 28, it's still true. That God works all things for the good. Yes. Amen. Um, what is hard about submission? And I know there are many things. I'm, I'm, I'm not floating these questions like I don't know some answers. I, I'm, not, I'm not totally naive to this. But I, um, I wanted to hear from Jess and then have us interact on it. Um, there are, yes. I would say quite a few hurdles to submission, um, one of which is just in my own heart, in our own hearts. We are all sinners. I have pride issues and jealousy issues and anger issues and selfishness, and those things get in the way of submission, and I don't think that I am alone in that. That's a human issue, but specifically here he's talking to wives. Um, there's also hurdles in our marriage a lot of times. Mm -hmm. There might be breakdowns in communication, a lack of trust, um, patterns, patterns mm -hmm. that just maybe are not healthy, are not ideal, um, issues in the marriage makes it harder to submit. Yeah. A lot of us have baggage from our past relationships where authority might not have been handled well, um, or just from the culture around us saying, this is stupid, don't do this, this is bad. So that baggage can influence how we think about it. And many times, honestly, one of the biggest hurdles is that our husbands don't make it easy. <laughs> they might Amen, not, amen. All right, I'll say it. They might not, you know, explain themselves very well. Or, you know, you mentioned, okay, what's the plan? Asking <laughs> Heather, what's the plan? But a lot of wives feel like I have to step up and have a plan. He didn't ask me for a plan. He's not asking anything. And so I think there is a piece there where submission is difficult many times because 
of our husband's brokenness, yeah. just like we have our own brokenness, which yeah. just makes it harder to do this thing that's already hard. Yeah, and just on behalf of the guys, I mean, it is, it's hard to submit and it's hard to lead. It really is. And so, you know, I, know I, I, I can hear these conversations oftentimes, you know, where the wives are tired. You know, I'm tired of leading. I'm tired. I want my husband to lead. Yes, lead. But not like that, you know, like, like this, you know, lead like this. And there's like this tug of war, right? And so, so I, I, I get it. It's really hard. And sometimes as guys, I'm just like, all right, fine. Just tell me what to do, you know. And, and, but but I, I need to lead and be involved in that conversation with her. But it's hard because you say because we're humans too. And the, and, the, and the husbands are just as broken in our own ways as, as the women. And it's, it's challenging. It's a challenge. It, it is. is. And yes, so it is. Nobody gets this perfect. Nobody stays right on the center line. We all kind of tend to veer towards one ditch or the other. And, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth the effort. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, so many challenges. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to the to the husbands next week more, but Jesse, you have a word for the husbands on this, if, if on how they can help their wives uh, get better at, at make it easier. Because like, guys, look, I can tell the wives submit because of God and truth, but here's the flat out truth. You got to help, okay? You got to help. And so how can we as husbands help our wives fulfill this role and, and, and to, to be this in a way that is honoring to God and is kind of fitting for the marriage? Yeah. Um. I think ultimately the more that husbands are living the way that God tells us to live, the easier it will be. That doesn't mean it will be easy or we will never have this agreement, but the more that husbands can be kind mm -hmm. and considerate, the more that husbands can ask for their wives' point of view. What do you think we should do about this? Let's have a conversation about that. This is what I'm thinking and this is why. And have a conversation mm -hmm. and invite her into the process um, that can go a long way and being willing to, you know, apologize if you realize I got something wrong and, um, a lot of the communication things can really make it a lot easier and ultimately those character things. Um, when I personally struggle to submit, it helps to be able to say, okay, but I can trust your kindness and I can trust that you are following the Lord and that you're trying to do the right thing and I can trust that you have our family's best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. And so the more that husbands are including the wife in that and trying to love as Christ loved the church, mm -hmm. it doesn't magically remove pride issues or things like that, but it does go a long way to make it easier. Yeah. And I think hopefully raising it from single, one-dimensional to multi-dimensional, right? So at the same time as the wife is yielding, the husband doesn't stop laying down his life for her, right? He's supposed to also be demonstrating that sacrificial love for her all the time. So it's not kind of this either-or tug-of-war. It's, it's both are doing both always. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the dance work, right? That both are being mutually caring. Um, what should the wife do when it's hard to submit? Um, I would highlight two things when it is particularly hard to submit. And the first would be prayer, um, which probably at that point is a more individual thing between you and the Lord. Prayer for ourselves. Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me to be kind. Lord, help me to submit. Um, and prayer for your husband, because you probably are struggling to submit because you disagree. You think he maybe has the wrong plan or he doesn't have a plan at all and I need a plan. And so praying that the Holy Spirit will work in his heart because we can't change anyone's hearts. We can say all the right things, and it has zero impact sometimes, but the Lord changes hearts. And so praying for ourselves, praying for our husbands, that the Lord would 
convict them if they need to be convicted or give them wisdom or um, you know, help me to do what I need to do. Prayer can feel like a cop-out when actually it is the most powerful thing that we can do. Mm. Um, yeah. And the other action step I would highlight when it's a struggle, when it's hard to submit for whatever reason at that moment, um, is for the person who's struggling, which in this case is the wife, to try something different. Um, and that comes up a lot, obviously, in the counseling room. But, you know, if you're having the same conversation and it feels like I'm just butting my head against the wall, try saying it in a different way or in a different setting or reach out for help and kind of talk it through with someone else. What am I missing? How could I do this differently? Um, maybe give more compliments or bite your tongue or, you know, whatever the situation is. But just if I do something different, the other person often kind of has to do something different because now, as you said, that dance, that back and forth is changing. Mm -hmm. And so if you're feeling stuck, just trying something different to see how might this change the dynamic, which can now maybe move us forward toward a healthier place of godly leadership and godly submission. Good word. What are the limits of submission? You know, because sometimes it's not just the normal. It's not just, hey, we're wrestling with this struggle, this problem, this issue, this whatever, but it jumps the curve. It goes to, to something dark, right? It goes from, you're, you're not just being a jerk, you're being toxic or harmful, right? Or, so how do you, how do you just, what, what, are some, what are some times when uh, there are limits to this? Yes. Um, I think scripture gives us several limits to submission. Um, which basically would boil down to we don't submit to sin. God's authority is the ultimate authority, and if our husband is trying to lead us in a direction that is directly against Scripture, it's not good. Um, and so we see that with examples like abuse. We don't just submit to abuse. That is evil. That is bad. And there can be help, and there can be change, but we don't just submit to abuse. We don't submit to affairs or adultery. And yes, I have had people in the counseling room saying, well, she should submit. This is important to me. Okay, but it's against God's word. Amen. And so we don't submit in those situations. We don't submit to addictions. God is clear that we should not live our lives in drunkenness. Um, we don't submit to illegal activity. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously those are just some big examples. But um, I think I would highlight too within that if, if you're kind of wondering as a wife, where's the line? Like, ooh, am I really supposed to submit to this? I don't know. It, then that's a good time to reach out for help, yeah. to call you or call Terry Dean, our women's director, or find a Christian counselor, you know, but to wrestle that through rather than just doing something that you know, ah, this just really doesn't seem like a godly, biblical, appropriate thing, mm -hmm. um, but also not just standing back and you know, setting up that wall and saying, nope, not going to do it, but to try to wrestle that through with godly wisdom. Amen, because ladies, we're talking about here right and left decisions, right? Not right and wrong things. And if, if, we're, if, this, if, if it's gone outside the boundaries, please reach out to us. Don't suffer silently. Help, help us help you, and we will step in, and we've done it, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll step in and be your defense for you. You know, where, where the family has failed, the church should succeed, and so let us step in and be a part of that, and well, of course, involve our ladies and our women to, to get in there and help. But don't, don't suffer silently. If there's a problem, speak up and let us get in there and work with you on it. Um, there's a lot more we could say, and we'll come back to it next week. I want to invite Susie up to share a story with us where she is and, uh, and kind of how this works. Um, and uh, Jess, you're welcome to sure, and, uh, and just kind of hang with us here. Susie Bockelman has been at Sanders for 23 years. She and her husband, Tim, are with us. Tim has had many hats in the church. Susie has lots of years at CKA. Yeah. 
four grown kids, great family. And um, when I heard her story that she shared at the women's retreat, I was like, that's what we need. So, Sue, thank you for jumping up here and sharing it with your kids. Well, thanks for having me. And um, hopefully I can convey with this little part of my story that um, biblical submission when wives submit to their husbands is beautiful and hard. And I think that's something Jess and Adam both highlighted. Um, Tim and I have been married, like Adam said, for 38 years. We got married while we were still in college in Indiana, and we started our family a couple years later. About the same time, I became a follower of Christ. We joined a great Bible teaching church and made lots of friends with other families um, that encouraged us in our faith. We got more and more settled. Um, the older children were enrolled and getting settled in a great school, and we had just built a house. And Tim got offered a job in Florence, South Carolina. <laughs> this was such hard news for me. I liked our life in Indiana. We had a wonderful support network of Christian friends, and all of our family members lived within two hours of us. As we discussed the opportunity, Tim and I completely disagreed. He wanted to take the job and move to Florence, and I did not. So I began praying. I really began wrestling with God over this. I knew that the Bible said that wives were supposed to submit to their husbands. But in this case, I thought my reasons for staying were higher and better than Tim's were for leaving. Submitting in this case did not seem good. Um, during this time when I was wrestling with God and at odds with Tim, I was involved in a children's ministry um, that involves storytelling. So we had like little wooden figures and um, like a setting, and we would memorize the, the, the story. So I, was, I had a story to prepare for the next Sunday, and the story was Abram, Abram and Sarai, not Abraham and Sarah yet. And these were some of the words from the story. Once, Abram and Sarai lived in the beautiful city of Haran. The one true God loved Abram and Sarai. One day, God said to them, Move from your home. I will give you a new home and a new land. It's all right to go. I will be with you and I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. Abram and Sarai looked across the desert. It would be sad to leave their home and their friends. Would God be with them? Abram and Sarai went. They trusted the one true God to show them the way. I had my answer. <laughs> I knew God was speaking to me with those words. It was hard to submit to Tim in this decision, but I could submit to God. Did I trust God? Would I obey him? Yes, I would. As they discussed, we can view the command to submit, submit to our husbands as stifling, but it can be freeing. Really, instead of submitting to Tim and our move to South Carolina, I was submitting I could submit to God. I trusted him. It really was freeing. When you recount an event that's happened over 20 years ago, the emotional component diminishes. 
but the emotions for that time were real, even though I knew I was to submit to Tim and that decision, God did not take away the sadness or the hurt, the loneliness or the feeling of being out of place. There was sleeplessness, loss of appetite, and there were tears. A real low point was when we enrolled our kids in school here and we listed our realtor as their emergency contact because we knew no one else. <laughs> but God was near. We very quickly found Sandhurst and started meeting new friends. Today, 23 years later, I'm so glad that we moved to Florence. The blessings our family has received since we've been here are beyond measure. So to circle back, this is a story about submitting to your husband, but it's more a story about submitting to God, that he knows best, that he cares for us and will never leave us or forsake us. When we trust God, when we believe his promises, we obey, we submit to him, which sometimes involves submitting to our husbands. Amen. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Thank you Susie. Come on up. Music team, you can go ahead and come up. We're going to close momentarily, but I wanted to see if, uh, Jess, do you have any closing comments? Um, I would just comment, and I think Susie's story was a great example of it, um, just how beautiful godly leadership is, but also as a wife, how beautiful godly submission is, godly character, because it's that trust in God that we are submitting to him every single time that I obey scripture, especially when I don't want to or it rubs against my humanity, it is a beautiful thing. And this passage talked about beauty, that it's not your gorgeous hair and your gorgeous outfit and all the things, um, but ultimately it's, it's obedience to God. It's the fear of the Lord, as Proverbs 31 says, that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised and is beautiful. And um, I, I think that, that's really what jumps out to me when I think about submission, particularly in First Peter, um, and stories like that just highlights that as well, that this ultimately is a beautiful thing. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, which is... Um, wonderful it's beautiful and it is hard it's hard for us to hear it's hard for us to do it um, but it is simple in its beauty and we pray god that you would give us courage and strength to do it um, we thank you for giving us guidance in these difficult areas lord teach us this dance to live out um, our design from creation and redemption lord to, to to this what it means this mutual submission lord and for uh, for the men to lead, for the women to submit and to yield, and for us to do this in a way that is godly, that is holy, that is true, that is good, and really genuinely reflects the nature and the power of God. So, Father, may it be for your glory, and uh, may it be for our joy in you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Could you all thank our guests one more time? Great job. Yeah.